Hey, Lord listeners, would you like a free audiobook? Follow us on Twitter at the KMQ, then tag us in a tweet with I Heart the KMQ, and we'll send you the audiobook of your choice from our Audible Library. Eroticism is important. It influences and energizes our entire human experience. Eroticism isn't sex. It's sexuality transformed by our imaginations. We encourage lurid listeners to cultivate eroticism, to play with it, smack it, and rub it down. Mm. We want you to enjoy yourselves, your partners, and your sexuality. You are entitled to your sexual self. Yeehaw! (laughs) You like that? (laughs) A little bit. This show is for adults only and contains erotic stories that sometimes feature provocative characters and intense themes and situations spanning many literary genres, including action-adventure, science fiction, romance, horror, fantasy, paranormal, double anal. <laughs> I don't think we've gagging. ever had a double anal. I'm sure there has been like a bazillion gagging instances. Tit-fucking. Uh, it's got to have We got to step it up. <laughs> I think I'm learning. We got to step this up. <laughs> gang banging. I've, we've had that. <laughs> lots and lots of gang banging. <laughs> Carry on. Dirty trombones. Okay. Well, I Rusty Sanchez's. Oh, right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, it's so, Rusty Trombone, Dirty Sanchez's. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I got to get to crack a lacking. <laughs> okay. Well, you've been warned. Okay. <laughs> hey, Lord listeners. Welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. This is your host, Rose Carraway. And as you could tell early on, Big Daddy is back in the studio today. Big Daddy's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> I have missed you in here. Oh, you've been busy. I've been busy. Yeah, yeah. That's been that's a fun thing. It is. I, you it, have become a lured listener. I have. Like <laughs> to have a show produced uh-huh. that's under our show that you know I help create and yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what's going out on it, and I <laughs> receive it. While I'm working. You've subscribed, and I've so totally, it gets dropped your way as soon as it's... It's a unique experience. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. But I like it. It's fun. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So, cool. good job, baby. Yay! I'm enjoying Thank your you. Dreamtime episode. Ooh, I hope yeah. you guys are, too. I think they are. People are leaving comments. Like, you just showed me. I didn't know this, but Spotify has the ability to, like, answer the question, what did you think of this episode? And, like damn thank you to people who have said you know such encouraging things since i've been doing these dream time mm-hmm. episodes that they've been enjoying it so mm-hmm. and let me tell you monday's dream that i've written down i have yet to yep. to record that but it's fun yep. it's a good one it's a good one i can't wait to get it it's wet <laughs> i can't wait to get it in my feed there's lots of wood in it <laughs> a couple of rats actually there's a ton of rats <laughs> But I digress. Anyway, welcome back to the show. We have a regular Kiss Me Quick erotic show today. Oh, it ain't regular. I mean, no, it isn't. That's, I mean, yeah. This 
This episode is kind of special in its own way. Um, this episode that we're featuring, part one anyway, because the story is so big, you've you've had to break it up into two parts, um, came from a dream that I had. It was either... In the 90s. 89, 90, or 98, 99, somewhere in there. Yeah. And it's weird to go back because... What else? What makes this so special is that's the first like dream that I wrote down that I read to you, mm. and that ha- sent your brain spinning on. We should do a podcast with your stories, uh, not right? Then no, <laughs> podcasting wasn't a thing in the nineties. <laughs> no, but I I enjoyed it. It was yeah. later, you because you started writing more stories later, yeah. and that's when yeah. I was like. And that was when podcasting was taken off and I was into podcasting and I'm like, well, I know what to do with these. Yeah. (laughs) And next thing you know, bing, bang, boom. Yeah. They were, I was just tucking them in my little journals, but it's so cool that we have come full circle. Mm -hmm. Now we're going back to the dreams. Yeah. Like we're just, I'm, I'm having them and reading them as they come to me. Hmm? Like your, like they're your babies. They are my babies. You just birth them. They do, yes, and I love them dearly. Very precious to me. Will always be. It's fun. It's fun to let them out, to give them air instead of just keeping them all to myself. Like this dream hoarder. I'm just hoarding them. Not anymore. Now I'm sharing them. Uh, yeah, at the risk of go, people going, I'm going to write a story about that. <laughs> Shit. Well, yeah. Just credit my whatever. my dream. <laughs> Because that's what lame. I do with them. Nah, they won't do it. I mean, yeah, some some other writing community can be a little, but that's okay. Anyway, you know what I say? What? Fuck them. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so today's episode um, is titled "Dove Song," and it's I ripped it from a dream I had called "Cold Supper," and "Cold Supper" was like a a ruffian whorehouse western romance it that I had raw. written. Yeah, it was raw. Raw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a real word, right? <laughs> it makes me <laughs> raw. <laughs> it makes me think of the rural juror from Thirty Rock. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry. Yes. I, I feel like we've talked about this before. Like this, I think this story is good, and I, I love this story. It's beautiful. You really turned it into to a piece of art. Oh. Um. The old, the old version was definitely rougher, mm-hmm. but I think I'd like to see you visit this world again. But I would like and you to tap into the more raw stuff. The OG Yeah, version. I'd like that too. Yeah. Like, I like both. There's room for both, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially in this world, right? Uh-huh. It can be beautiful and kind of raunchy. Yeah. So anyway, that's I'm just putting my two cents. I think this is, this tone mm-hmm. of story is mm-hmm. right up your alley. This is this is one of your pillars of who you are as a creative person. I think so too. I because I really wanted to tap into something that was heavy in conflict because that's how my dreams always are. There's conflict happening, um, and then it's vast, like it's from the mountains to the actual characters, from this mansion that they're in. Um, to people who aren't even there yet still are playing a role and affecting things. Um, and there were aspects of like my actual life and influences that I kind of 
pulled into each one of the characters. Um, I could probably point to people that I've known pretty closely uh, to each of those characters. I know a few of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. I just feel like today's episode is kind of a a full circle. Um, You know, now that we've been doing these Dreamtime episodes, this story came from a dream and it changed quite dramatically. It became something else Mm -hmm. than what it originally came to me as. So it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's neat how that works. And it just happens like uh, because it's supposed to. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and what's nice about your Dreamtime episodes, you're already cluing people into like, okay, here's my dream. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're already editing. You're already your editor brain's already turned on by the time you're reading it to them as the audience. And you're already going. And if I was to put this as a story, mm-hmm. I would be changing names of this person, or maybe not using that character, or combining these people. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's interesting hearing your process. Not only hearing your your imagination going, which is like you say, is every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of endless. It is. Uh, yeah. It's but weird. it's also here fun to hear you put your energy into changing it into what it's going to be mm-hmm. right like i can imagine your mind kind of cranking on this stuff well you, we've cohabitated long enough you know how much of me works but True. yeah yeah like some things speak to me louder like even in that moment and then if i come back to it let's say a years later I'll come back to a dream that I had written down and it'll take on an entirely different. And that's what happened, I think, with, um, you know, there's a maturity that happens or just a shift of mood or attitude or or look at the world or like how the world is affecting you. Mm -hmm. Um, It all kind of seats itself into that creative process and it kind of just comes out. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Um, it's many things intentionally, other things, oh, well, that was a fun little coincidence, and I love it. I love mm-hmm. it when that turns uh, the wheel. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Um, Enough about that. I know. <laughs> let's let's get to the story. Um, here is Dub Song, and we should Ooh. probably say that it's taken from the audiobook in Medias Res. And so to prepare you... This is a story that I wrote in that second-person point of view where you, our dear, lovely, lurid listeners, have a front-row seat in. You are starring in this. Her name is Nat. So you're you're a female lead character in this. Sorry, guys. You'll have a good time, I promise, though. <laughs> Embodying, oh, good old Nat. She's, she is uh, quite the talented gal, I think. Um, and her character speaks to responsibility heavily which I feel and like promises made things that you promise people Mm -hmm. um that speaks heavily to me too uh and then oh yeah there's lots of conflict you'll have fun with that yeah there's conflict on several levels there's conflict on well we won't get into the specifics but there's several levels of conflict everybody's got it yeah yeah it's fun it's what keeps the story moving and so also to prepare you there is a lot like this story is jam-packed i wanted to fit as much as i could in the can so to speak so um if you're doing something else um, you might want to listen to it a couple times. You might miss something because um, there's a lot of things mm, kind of going on. I'm setting you up mm-hmm. in this first part for, because part two is when, uh, well, 
shit hits the fan. Things start happening and it gets hot. <laughs> it gets so hot. That's the only clue we'll give you. Okay. <laughs> All right, you guys. Here is my story titled Dove Song. Get on away from that window! Martha's voice cuts through the cocoon of steam within the bathhouse, and you yank the razor safely away from May's skin. Tension has been building over these last few days, and this morning it's exceptionally difficult for you to hide. But Penny trained you well. Instead of succumbing to the strain of responsibility, you focus inward, just as your mistress taught you to do. It doesn't take more than a few beats and a couple of discreet breaths before your grip relaxes on the straight razor's carved ivory handle. The wet, swollen texture of the bathhouse's wooden floor offers your bare feet a grounding sensation and you quickly regain your purpose. Peepin' Tom, Martha grumbles, snapping her towel against the enormous decorative window. Weinman House's only handyman, Ben, sways dumbly on the other side of the stained glass. Seemingly unaffected by Martha's efforts to shoo him away, Ben squints through the sun's glare against the diamond-cut, rainbow-tinted window panes. Sweat stains his once pristine cleric's collar, and grime covers his black preacher's coat. Judging by what's left in the whiskey bottle, he's gotten an earlier start than usual. The slovenly sight of him makes your gorge rise. You look over at the mantel clock, ticking its pestering sound. You're not as disciplined as Penny gave you credit for. Beneath your fingertips, you feel May adjusting herself in the barber's chair. It's been months since you've touched her like this. In fact, the only cunt you've stirred since Penny's death has been your own and that boredom had dug its heels in right quick. You've missed May and Martha. Hell, you've even missed your sessions with Sam. Adjusting yourself on the little wooden stool, you're grateful none of the girls can tell just how wet your own cut has gotten while shaving May. You've shorn eleven girls this morning. Ordinarily, this task would have relaxed your mind, but it's only traded one anxiety for another. Every girl here will soon be gone. This is the last time you'll ever get to touch your beautiful May. It's unsettling the way he just stands there like that. Martha shakes her head, gathering up a few stray towels. I'm telling you, something sinister is taking hold of that man. There's a knock at the back door and Martha quickly dumps her armload into a bin. She smooths her apron in a way that further awakens the embers of lust deep within your belly. And as she hurries out to the linen hall for one reckless moment, You imagine following her back there and ordering her to suck you until all this pent-up frustration is released. Poor old Ben's only wanting to save your soul, Martha, one of your girls calls out. That's right. 
Got a whole bathhouse chock full of souls that need saving. This time it's Jolyn's glum voice. You fix her with a stern look and nudge May to scoot closer. The sight of her sudsy, half-shaped puss, along with the sudden view of her anus, pink and so tightly butted, takes your breath away. The moment you become aware of how exactly positioned your clit is against the seam of your work trousers, you notice the mischievous spark brightening May's gaze as she brazenly parts her thighs wider, all but tempting your fingers to stray toward more pleasurable activities. Shielding her fat clit with the pad of your thumb, you swallow and dutifully reposition the blade, lust all but gnawing to break free right there in the bathhouse. Down the line of fancy barber's chairs sits the rest of your adopted brood. Twelve chairs in all, seating women just as nude as May, basking in shafts of rainbow-tinted sunlight that's pouring in through the decorative window. On striking display, they are as beautiful as exotic birds. A desperate sort of pride swells within your chest as you rinse the blade in the wash bin between your feet. Old Ben might not know much more than the Lord's Prayer, but I'd sure as hell suck his wrinkled knob if he'd pray us up a blizzard or something, Chrissy says in a delicate but miserable tone. None of the girls want to leave. You swish more soap and cinnamon-colored pubic hair from the razor's edge. Mistress Penny should have kicked that borracho out a long time ago. Rebecca throws in her two pesos worth, and this time your jaw sets because she's right. You hate it when she's right. After one last stroke of the razor, you let it fall into the wash basin and a cold band of white suds sloshes against your trouser leg and ankle. I'd hate for such a sour face to be the cause of your losing the only prospect I've managed to secure for you tonight, you say to Rebecca. Penny had brought her back three years ago from some desert-baked border town. She'd slung whiskey and served her cunt to scabby, lawless cow rustlers until she was nothing but skin and bones. Practically listless when she first arrived at Weinman House, her long black hair was so matted that Penny'd had to cut out large sections of it just to run a brush through. Rebecca had also possessed the most haunting eyes, green eyes that seemed to see everything but cared about nothing. A few girls gasp as Rebecca hoists her small feet up, belligerently wedging her heels onto the leather seat of the chair, widening her knees and aiming her shaved cunt directly toward Ben, still rooted to his spot. He knocks back the last of his whiskey, nearly toppling over in the process. All heads turn as he finally staggers off. Martha returns to your side with a fresh towel for May. She leans down. That was Sam at the door, she whispers her plump lips close enough to kiss. He says there's still no sign of the photographer. Your nipples tighten at the familiar scent of her perspiration, but the news she delivers comes as a blow. You accept the towel, nodding. Thank you, Martha. Mr. Hartman, the photographer, is coming to take your picture with the girls before guests arrive. You feel that his photograph will secure your role as Weinmanhaus's new mistress. Miss Natalie, May says. You look up from between her legs and see concern tightening her pale blue eyes. The morning sun appreciates this little puss of yours, May, you say reflexively. May's eyes sparkle. 
She's always been very proud of her cunt. Do you think it'll catch me a husband tonight? Her freckled lips curve into a playful smile. But you are suddenly sick at the thought of some stranger fucking her instead of you. It's merely intended to encourage your libido to make you more pliant during conversation. You stand up, thrusting the towel at her. I thought you preferred my cunt to be wet. May smirks, tracing a finger along her smooth slit, still trying to tempt you. She's gotten all too comfortable with your quick-shifting temperament lately. Martha clears her throat, then goes to see if any of the other girls are in need of a fresh towel. You reach into your apron pocket and squeeze the little vial of rose oil, hesitating before you say, Here. May's smile broadens, and she immediately uncorks the vial and pours. Glistening amber-tinted liquid dribbles onto her shaved mound like thin honey. Your cunt flexes at the sight. What is that you are giving to her? Rebecca's sharp-accented voice makes you jump like she suddenly caught you with your hand in a cookie jar. Weinman House has never been good enough for Rebecca. Her need for things is unquenchable. Exhausted, but keeping your voice relatively neutral, you snap your fingers. Agnes, fetch the oils that came this morning before Her Highness has a conniption. Rebecca gets up from her chair, her tawny tits as perky as Cleopatra's, and like naked, melancholy wood nymphs, the other girls follow. With the girls distracted, you turn to May and grip her freckled chin. The other girls don't notice your left hand sliding down between May's breasts and over the flat of her stomach, then lower. They don't see you pinch May's oily, smooth cunt lips. They don't hear May's gasp. After tonight, Maven Brown, you whisper against her perfect, copper-colored ringlets, you'll have a husband's cock stuffed up inside you nightly. I reckon he'll like your cunt just as wet as I used to. May's blue eyes go wide as your words sink in. But no man will ever fill this little cunt of yours half as well as I did. It's a cruel thing to say, you know. Channeling your dead mistress's fortitude, you keep your gaze steady as May's eyes now glisten. Martha unties your work apron, then she kneels, readying your outdoor boots. When you glance at the top of her head, it feels as though your cage has just been rattled. Never mind, Martha. You step back, unexpectedly shaken. I can do it myself. You grab up your boots. Ma'am? Martha draws her hands back, her sable eyes looking confused. She's always basked so fully in your authority, especially from her knees. But the white lace maid's cap she's wearing is a shocking reminder of everything you will never have again. Your throat tightens, and the bathhouse walls seem to close in. With urgency, you shove your feet into your boots, your fingers fumbling with their laces. You can almost hear Penny's voice warning you that Martha and May have conspired to distract you, and a slow hardness washes over you, a hardness that you hate more than Rebecca's voice. But you yield to it nonetheless. You made a promise, after all. Weinman House must always come first. You drop your apron next to the door. You get these girls up to their rooms, Martha. Agnes will help get them dressed. Be quick about it. 
Just because a photographer's running late doesn't mean we can. You stomp your boots, adjusting their fit, ignoring your audience of curious stares. Yes, ma'am. Shall I have lunch brought to their rooms? Martha asks, her voice meek, maid's cap still perfect. Yes, a light one, but no biscuits or buttermilk, and only after the girls have dressed. I don't want their bellies too swollen tonight. And keep them indoors. I'll have no loose birds today. Yes, ma'am. And together, she and Martha scurry over to help wrangle the girls back into their morning clothes. You avoid May altogether and head for the bathhouse's back door. The landing, bathed in sunshine, washes you in its warmth. You close your eyes, mentally sloughing your burdens. A mountain breeze brings the high Sierras to your nose. Just beyond the step's iron railing, yellow warblers dart amongst the lavender, catching late-morning honeybees. At the center of Weinman House's massive front lawn sits Penny's most prized possession, an eye-catching fountain, a romanticization of Jambalonia's Sabine women, chiseled out of creamy white marble by an artist who owed Penny a favor. Within the massive fountain's scrubbed pool, koi swim lazily around in crystalline water. Honey-scented gardenias border the structure, leading the eye toward Weinman House's impressive black iron gates. She'd requisitioned the piece well before the mansion's construction plans were finished. The irony of the statue isn't lost on you now. Though you've qualified and selected the men who are attending tonight's party, you take comfort in knowing your girls will have some say as to the contracts you'll consider. With four sacks of gold dust and $48,000 that Penny had tucked away in a leather steamer trunk at the age of 32, she'd built this grand Italianate Victorian-esque mansion of 20,000 square feet. 18 bedrooms, six sitting rooms, a library, and one great ballroom. The later addition of copper pipes and cistern-heated water, which flow directly to the renowned bathhouse, including three pressure tanks for indoor flushable toilets, were the first things you grew to love here. Overlooking Silver City, the mansion sits palatially atop more than 14,000 acres in the rolling wild Sierras. On its west side sits a new off-stream reservoir. The southern property border touches the infamous Pioneer Valley Trail, where caravanners had become stranded and died during a brutal, record-breaking winter some 50 years ago. Shielding your eyes against the early afternoon sun, you look toward the carriage house and stables, made immaculate by the stable hands. They sit empty. There is no sign of the photographer. The morning hours have passed you by all too quickly. 36 men are due here before sundown. Weinman House is ready for its money-wielding guests, but you are not. Setting a brisk pace, you follow the groomed walkway east through the mansion's gardens, past the turtle ponds and croquet yard. Behind a weather-worn workshed 
sits an ivy-covered gate that opens to a private footpath. While working the gate's rusted latch, your heartbeat quickens. Weinman House's big iron gates will soon open. When they do, a delicious sort of chaos will enter upon the shiny leather heels of men bearing wallets as thick as their cocks. You've done everything as Penny taught you, planned, prepared, and anticipated. But same as always, you feel like a fraud, living in some sideways dream. The sun rides high overhead, and your bare feet slide inside your boots. Your thoughts wander back to the coming men. They aren't coming for you, and as far as Penny was concerned, they never would. Kicking up enough trail dust to coat the bottoms of your trousers, your mind kicks around an old, forbidden desire. An idea that would surely have Penny scratching to get out of her coffin if you muttered the words aloud. What if the men did come for you? What if men from all over the country came to Weinman House on the regular, by written invitation, same as now, just not with marriage proposals? Your body hums at the thought of so many men coming and going, perhaps bravely returning with their wives for something more. Your hips begin to sway, reminded of that dangerous feeling of having a man in your hands. It's always been there, this depravity, uncivilized and bottomless. Penny knew of your penchant for both women and men. For years, she'd worked herself to the bone to domesticate you. You'll never forget the horrified look on your matron's face the night she caught May propped on your feather-stuffed pillows, her wrists and ankles bound to your bedposts by scraps of smooth leather, your face buried between her widespread, freckled legs. You thought your mistress would die of a seizure when she caught you one afternoon whipping Sam with an old horse crop atop your little bed. Oh, if you could only nail this vulpine thing inside you to a hidden post somewhere deep in the mountains, things might be simpler. Bushy, summer sun-bleached heads of dogtail grass snag at the hems of your pants like fingers desperate to hold you to ground. By the time you crest the trail's steep incline, you are breathing heavily. Ahead, hailing from a prominent ridge, stands a wall of dense red cedar trees. The aromatic forest almost completely blocks out the sunlight when you finally reach its depths. Didn't think you'd make it up here. Your head jerks at the sound of Ben's drunken voice. He's gotten lankier this past year, more stooped over. Wind tugs at the wiry strands of his thinning silver hair. His left suspender strap is twisted, reminding you of how much Ben's devotion to drink tends to supersede everything else. It's remarkable how he still manages to keep the mansion's hot water flowing. The old handyman used to work harder than any mule Penny owned. Just before she died, you'd urged her to leave Ben enough money to retire on, but she'd flat out refused to put such a gifted man out to pasture. Good afternoon, Ben, you huff, catching your breath. God is smiling upon us indeed, he slurs, tipping a cap that isn't there. You force a kind smile. The sight of his stained collar moves you past him and toward Penny's grave. The small fence plot has recently been cleared of weeds and encroaching overgrowth. A haphazard bouquet of blue chicory rests against the polished granite headstone. On the ground, dappled sunlight plays over Ben's discarded whiskey bottle and preacher's coat. Our beloved Penelope Rue, 1879. 
Some 14 years ago, Penny brought you up here to discuss her eventual plans for you and Weinman House. While you hated being taken away from the booming town of Silver City and its tempting glut of silver miners, a small part of you also came to appreciate the older woman's doting. Years later, when Penny brought May to live at the mansion, you'd recognized just how trapped you were. Ben's craggy voice breaks the silence. I must have asked her to m marry me a thousand times under these trees. You nod. Peony's heart was just too big to share with just one person, Ben. You flinch, suddenly struck by the quick, bold truth of your words. Ben steps around you and grabs hold of an iron slat, steadying himself. We did our best for this place, she and I. Through God, we did right by you whores, he says, and then hiccups. His weathered cheeks go red, common enough whenever he drinks early in the day. It occurs to you that you hate Ben, not because he's a drunk, but because he's a drunk wearing a preacher's collar that Penny had ordered by catalog. You remember the day I found you? He burps, and the sourness of whiskey and unbrushed teeth threaten to gag you. Of course I do. The reminder of your deepest, darkest secret makes you feel unsteady and irritated. You clear your throat. I've told you time and again how grateful I am, Ben, for you coming to my aid and bringing me up here to live with Penny. That's what you say, but you don't understand what it means. Ben nods so hard you hear his teeth clack together. You know what he's building up to. It's an old argument that agitates the man beyond your level of patience. Penny understood it well enough, how much a woman needs a man. She depends on him to guide her along the righteous path, keep her from straying from his flock. Elsewise, it's disease and damnation, Natalie. You've heard this sermon all too often. Ben, now isn't the time for sermonizing. It's exactly the time. Penny might be dead now, but I helped guide that woman back when things was hard and she was building this place. Now I'm supposed to guide you. Ben swoons toward you, and you shoot a quick palm against his shoulder to steady him. Besides, I deserve my share. You owe it to me for all I... for all I done for you. I owe you? Sure as I'm standing here. If I hadn't fired my pistol, making all those men scatter like... like cockroaches, you'd have been left for dead in that whiskey barn. Ben knuckles away the froth of spittle gathered at the corners of his whiskered, wrinkled mouth. Then he adds in a rather shrill, rabid-sounding voice, I saved you, and by his glory you're indebted to me. The tendons in his thin neck strain against his dirty cleric's collar. He juts out a finger. By God, I saved you from your sin, and their sin, and you owe me. Ben has been a drunk since you've known him, and you've always wondered if his gun had gone off accidentally that day that feels so long ago now. Now hang on just a minute. Those heathens would have devoured your whore bones. Ben shouts beneath the cedar boughs, and the birds go silent. Penny never spoke of it, but you've never forgotten that afternoon inside the whiskey barn. Even now, your nipples tighten as you recall the men's hot breaths against your nude body, the splinters from the sunburnt barn door digging into your back and buttocks, 
the piercing bliss of even more splinters needling their way into the skin of your breasts and stomach after one of the miners decided to turn you around. Admittedly, you'd gotten in a little over your head that day. You'd tried to count the cuts and bruises once you'd woken up under Penny's care at Weinman House. All those tiny, wicked trophies had been impossible to count. You'd best have all them girls married off tonight, then get yourself ready to round up new ones tomorrow. He tugs at his stained collar. I'm doing God's work here, young lady, and I'm taking what's due. You grip the front of your work shirt as something gnaws at you from the inside, begging to be unharbored. I told Penny she'd never smarten you up. Ben's gaze suddenly sobers as though hellfire shines there. I watched you lure those men to your bosom. I witnessed your fall from grace. You aren't capable of loving Weinman House the way Penny did. Ben stumbles toward you and an ugly rage vibrates within your bones. Because deep down, you know he's right. You could never love Weinman House the same as Penny had. How dare you, you fraud! Since I've known you, you haven't been able to stand up on your own two feet long enough to feel the ground beneath them. Seemingly of their own will, your fingers reach out, claw-like, and you yank the dirty strip from around Ben's neck. You heave it onto the ground, and just as your lungs fill with air backed by years of resentment, you see May trudging up the trail. She's a beautiful sight. Her freckled cheeks are flush from exertion. A colorful bouquet of wildflowers is tucked neatly in the crook of her arm. You! Ben stumbles past you. God knows why you're up here, he shouts. You don't think he sees your sins? Ben, what's gotten into you? The sound of Ben's hand against May's cheek is like a crack of thunder. Her bouquet sails through the air. Jolted into action, you rush forward as Ben then shoves May to the ground. His boot arcs toward May's stomach, and you scream, You son of a bitch! Your fingers just miss Ben's overstretched suspender strap, but they gain purchase of his wrinkled shirt tail, and you pull with all your might, catching the man off balance. His boot tries to pendulum forward again, but his body tips, and the momentum of his effort brings him careening backward. You swing your right fist, and its impact sends Ben to the forest floor in a dusty, pathetic heap. Ben sputters, spit painting his lips and chin red. You're all a bunch of godless whores, he snivels. Shut up, you old fool. You wouldn't know God if he came down and pinched you on the backside. Memories of Penny flood your mind. This was her place of solitude, where she came to be alone with her prayers. A place where the two of you had tender, meaningful conversations. You help May up and hold her small frame tightly. You're wrong, Ben. I love Weinman House. With all my heart, I love it. Likely more than Penny ever could. But I love the women who live here, too. We're more than dolls to be sat in some fancy storefront window. May is shaking, but you like how she clings to you. Weinman House is more our home than it ever was yours or hers. Ben staggers to his feet, bloodshot eyes burning with contempt. The stench of you whores has clouded this mountain long enough, he sways. You best sell them girls tonight, including that one, he points to May. 
God knows your wickedness, and he'll take what's owed if you don't. He dusts himself off and makes his way down the trail, leaving the old cleric's collar and jacket behind. May's chemise is torn, and she's filthy, but her blue eyes offer no apology for coming up here. You hurt, you ask, examining her cheek. I'm all right. Nothing another bath won't fix. You, she asks, reaching for you, but you hold her at bay. You know why she's come. The bouquet was just a pretense. May not so innocently trails a finger up the buttons of your work shirt. You should forbid her from attending tonight's events. Money be damned. Penny would rather disappoint a paying guest than tolerate an ounce of rule-breaking. I have four petitions for you, May, you blurt out. The scent of rose oil has you on pins and needles. Breaking the news this way surprises even you. Oh, Miss Natalie, you don't really want anybody else to have me, do you? May rises onto her toes, wraps her arms around your neck, and kisses you. The warmth of her lips loosens your resolve, but you're scared. Penny's rules have always gotten you through. They are ingrained in your skin. Please stop, May. May, I can't. Birds perched above flutter away. You step back, fighting desire, shaking with love. May closes the distance regardless. Old Ben was right, you know. We are whores, Miss Natalie. Redeemed women, you say, half-heartedly trying to prevent her fingers from unbuttoning your shirt the rest of the way. But we aren't. Not really. She whispers against your cleavage, her clever tongue boldly seeking one of your nipples. I know you love me, Miss Natalie. I know because I can taste it on you. Stop it, May. You try to stop her. You do. But she yanks the panels of your shirt wide, revealing your tits to the forest, and a kind of animal sound claws its way up your throat when she draws one of your nipples deep into her mouth. May knows you well. She suckles until it hurts. The sensation is dizzying, and your head tips back. The cedar boughs creak in the breeze. Before you know it, you've got May pinned against the trunk of an old tree. She hikes a leg over your hip, trapping you to her, as though she's afraid you might get skittish. But you know there's no denying you want her now. Forever and always. Won't you fuck me, Miss Natalie? May whispers, kissing you, trying to catch your lower lip and her teeth. Fill me up one last time like you used to. When you hesitate, May pulls you closer. Stop thinking so much, Miss Natalie. Feel how wet I am. The long-deprived thing inside you beckons painfully, and it's as though she's unlocked the door to the cage you've been living in for so long. You want to rejoice because, yes, May has always felt right in your arms. But you know you should weep because you are breaking your promise to Penny. As easily as a bird takes flight, however, you kiss May back. The silk ribbon tying her ruined pantalettes practically unties itself. 
You reach your fingers through the opening, seeking her heat and wetness, aching for her slippery, rose-scented slit that has always felt like home. May's wanton groan tickles against your tongue. Claiming both sets of her lips, top and nether, is a galvanizing sensation. You unbutton and yank the panels of her chemise aside until her small, freckled tits are exposed. She mules and cants her hips, inviting your fingers inside her. Her beggar's cunt is wet for you. So you fuck all of them into her until your knuckles knock at her soaked rim. May sighs. I love you, Miss Natalie. You say nothing for fear of hearing your own voice. Instead, you wedge the bend of your wrist against your thigh and gently thrust your hips. May reaches her arms back overhead and claws at the tree's bark. You build a rhythm until your big knuckles finally slip through and your fist is inside her. You commit this moment to memory like a photograph. The tightness of May's muscles as she comes around your gently working fist. The tangles in her dusty, ginger-blonde curls clinging like spiderwebs to the tree bark. The delicate line of her neck as she turns her head to the side and screams her release. The scent of rose oil and cunt fills your nose. This is how you will remember May, your wanton cedar rose. She tries to talk to you afterward, but you can't bear it. The shame and guilt of breaking your promise are too difficult to overcome. When you're sure she's gone, you wipe your hand onto your pants and retrieve May's bouquet. You toss it next to Ben's clumsy bundle against Penny's headstone as the weight of failure brings you to your knees. You look up between the cedar boughs toward the blue summer sky, and through silent tears, you pray that the damned photographer arrives soon. you guys we hope you enjoyed today's story that was dove song written by me rose caraway wasn't that nice it was that was good right and man i'm sorry to leave you there yeah there's a lot more to go actually (laughs) a little bit of a cliffhanger Yeah. yeah yeah it's gonna be great so i hope you subscribed and tell your friends man Mm-hmm. Let them know. There's yeah. some hot stuff going on on this show. And it's uh, it's just for you. It's this new year, right? You Here's your New Year's resolution. We all need more oral in our lives. <laughs> I, I get what you did <laughs> Don't <there>. we? <laughs> Let me give it to you. <laughs> Let me get down. You dirty, dirty Right in girl. front of my mic. <laughs> That's oral with an A. <laughs> Oh, 
I mean oral too, but oral, A-U-R-A-L. Yes, we all need more story time, more sexy, erotic story time. So play that's time. that's what I'm here for. Yeah, it's play, play time. time. It's like our Chuck E. Cheese, right? Mm-hmm. With, but less, way less gross. <laughs> exactly. It is way less gross. Chuck E. Cheese is way grosser than our stories. <laughs> All right. Follow the show on Twitter at the KMQ. Don't forget, if you tweet us, I heart the KMQ, we will send you a free audiobook from our Audible library. I mean, God, we are freaking giving, aren't we? So, so, so giving. <laughs> Crazy giving. We're we're vomiting giving this. Oh, God. And because we are such excellent givers, mm-hmm. you should support our show. Mm-hmm. You should go to Amazon, iTunes, or Audible and search Rose Caraway. Preach! Pick an audiobook. It's an extensive library. Something is waiting for you there. You will find it. Something there will tickle your fancy. Mm-hmm. And then please do share it with your partner. And then both of you guys leave us a review so that more lurid listeners just like you guys can find us. Audio production by Big Daddy Dave Carraway. The KMQ would like to thank the following musical artists. Plasticine Cowboy, Jason Shaw, Kai Engel, and the KMQ introduction music by Vivich. The Kiss Me Quick's Erotica Podcast is a Stupid Fish production and is brought to you by In Medias Res, You in the Midst of Things. Perfect. Stupid Fish. Shut up, you old fool. You wouldn't know God if he came down and pinched you on the backside.